Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program that brings you inside the building. That would be NRG Stadium, home of the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, as well as your Houston Texans. And I say that because cook-off in progress. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Chilly night for the cook-off. Johnny, it kicked off last night, the kickoff of the cook-off. Another night tonight. Yeah. People are enjoying themselves, and that's a good thing to see in the city of Houston. The rodeo is back, and Mark, I, I know I'm, I'm going to bring up a bad moment. But the fact that the rodeo is back is such a great moment because I remember being in this seat right here Mm -hmm. when it was announced that the rodeo was done, that COVID was shutting down the rodeo. Two years ago. And it was sitting in here, and then all of a sudden it's like I was in here, and we were getting ready to do a show, and then walked out into the workroom, which is where the gatekeepers work for the rodeo. Yep. And walked out there, and there was nobody in there. And everything was Chilling. being cleared out and was like, whoa. Because that's that's just y- your body clock tells you gatekeepers take over from late February through March in that workroom. There's usually nobody there. But that period of seeing them all there, it's sort of comforting. Like, okay, rodeo's in town. It's such a big event here in Houston. But, man, two years ago seeing that thing and seeing that room completely vacant was just weird. Did I tell Weird. you that I'm going to be the gate opener or whatever they call it for the calf scramble? Yeah, you told me this. Okay. This yeah, is and be I'm fun. envious. All right. I'm I, envious. Well, we'll I got see. a call today from my buddy Don Sanders. He's, he's like, hey, I want you to come Tuesday. I'm throwing out the first pitch at Sam Houston University of Texas baseball game. And I'm like, man, I'm going to be an Indian. It's like, you guys are getting all these like cool moments. Like, when do I get thrown out the first <laughs> You're pitch open the gate? <laughs> I know I'll be in Indy. That'll be that'll be good enough for me. I'm fine with going to the combine. I'm good. By the way, you lied to me about the weather there. It's not as bad as what no, you said. It was really bad the other day. I didn't lie to you. Okay. It changed. All right. It changed. It changed. The weather changed. I, I was already looking into jackets because I'm like, man, do I have enough firepower to go up there? You have everything. You survive on the sideline of know. every NFL building. I know, but I, I you've got to have different. Different types. I think I'm good. I think I'm good. <laughs> but I'm telling you, when I checked it a week ago, there were a couple days. I think the day we arrived, it was going to be a high of 23 and a low of 12. Ooh. It's not like it's going to be balmy. Don't no. don't try and – it's, it's in the 40s, low 40s or something. Yeah, it's don't, like it is here. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. Don't give me that kind of stuff. We're but bringing it with us. Let, yeah, let's – yeah. Let's – this is crazy. Okay. So, of course, I have – Indianapolis temperature right next to my parents' temperature. Mm-hmm. And every time I flip through, I have ours and then Galveston and then my parents. So it's like 50s, 60s, 9, and then <laughs> Indianapolis. Well, your parents are still in Wisconsin, They're right? still in Wisconsin. Yeah, it's going to be – it'll be fine. It's in the 40s. There's one night it gets to – oh, that's Saturday. Yeah, it's, it's highs of 50-ish. We're inside anyway. 30s. We're fine. I was going to say you could throw We're out fine. the first pitch at Victory Field where the, uh, I don't know. I'd what love that little stadium. Team. Yeah, I'd love nice. to see a game it's there. Nice. It'd be kind of nice if they move things up. But then again, baseball has to get its act together to be able to do that. So, Oh, my gosh. Take There's care that. of those minor leaguers, baseball. Yeah. Ooh, we can tie this into something that uh, Landry and Lopez were discussing today, which yeah. is Lopez wants to get rid of the shift. And okay, Landry, I heard him mention this. Yeah, well, I wanted to get your take because I was thinking, look, you have to have certain rules, and you could make it a rule that you can't do a shift. You have to keep the outfielders mm-hmm. at least within a zone, right? right? Similar to football where if you had no rules in football other than all your 11 has to be on this side of the line of scrimmage and you could do whatever the heck you wanted, yeah. well, that would be pretty wild, wouldn't it? 
they have some rules in place to make sure that it's not mayhem. Now, you could do a Griff Whalen or whatever the guy's name was yeah. with Indianapolis. Whalen, yeah. yeah, you could do something like that within the rules, some crazy stuff, some swinging gate or whatever, but you get my drift. Yeah, well, you know, the one rule they have is the uh, extra point field goal rule where you can only have a certain number of guys on one yeah. side of the line. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like six versus four. On one, I think the most you can have is like six on one side. Same of the with ball. onside kick now, too. Yes, absolutely. It used so, to be you could put the whole mishbucha <laughs> over there on one side of the kicker. Yes, I went you there. Could. I went you, Yiddish word there. I now, it's natural for the NFL. You can throw a penalty. There, there, there's that. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what you do in baseball. Maybe you make if if the defense is caught in that particular situation, maybe it becomes an automatic ball on that particular yes. pitch yes. if that happens. But I there's a part of me that agrees with John uh, in the fact that, ew, you know. It's ridiculous when you see it. It, it looks is, it crazy. It does look weird. But then again, you're a major league hitter. Take a fastball the other way and make them pay for it. It doesn't work Be that way, Be a major way, league hitter. The, 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 the stats say that it works better to operate with the shift, that they're not going to beat the shift. I I think you're right, and that's why that's why bad hitters. Mm-hmm. I think it was Joey Joey uh, Gallo who I first saw say something about it, and you look it up and it's like this guy's a 207 hitter. Yeah, you're a 207 hitter because you can only use one one side of the field. That's it, and teams know it, mm-hmm. so you go with it. It's wide open over there. Look for a pitch that gets away from a pitcher. Go the other way with it and be a 250 hitter. Stop right. the nonsense. I'll but I do you- agree with John. I think I think the that shift is. Are you with me on this? You can't say keep the shift and also advocate for universal DH. You can't. You can't. Keep the shift. And also advocate for universal DH. You have to be able to say, look, all right, so what's the problem with the pitcher hitting? If you're going to shift, what is the problem with the pitcher hitting? Right? Although I could argue that another way as well. But in football, we have certain rules and – how that's many the men closest on the line one, of scrimmage. Though. That's the one. That's the closest one with so many guys on on one side or the other. Now, yeah. and also with the NFL, I mean, obviously you can only you can only have seven guys on the line of scrimmage. In fact, you have right. to have seven guys on the line of scrimmage. So there's there's that requirement as well. So there are some there and are some set for similar a second. right. There are some similar things. I guess the penalty would be the one thing to have to figure out. If the shift here's here's what I would do. I'd put somebody up in the booth mm-hmm. that is watching and making sure. And if the shift were on and it's not supposed to be, somebody was in an illegal area, he would just buzz down to the to the umpire, and if the umpire felt the buzz, it's a ball. They can't tell on field well, level. Well, I mean they might be able to, but the I don't want the I don't want the home plate umpire trying to figure that out. I want him watching whether it's a ball or right. a strike. But I'm all right with shading. But not shifting. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I could shade yes. over towards second right. or whatever. Right. Just but, like in football, you can have unbalanced or tackle over. Yeah. You can do some different things with your alignment. Yeah. But full on three outfielders one way or four infielders on the other side of second base, change the game a little bit. Analytics guys are not going to like that. No, they're not. I guarantee you, Billy Bean and his uh, his baseball nerds are not going to like that. Not Bill at James going to hate it. Oh, Bill James would not like it. Uh, we're not deep enough into the offseason yet to discuss NFL rule change proposals here. But when we oh, yeah. are deep enough, Nick Casario, I can't wait to run a few things by him. 
and see what he has to say because it'll be interesting. He, he did pretty well with the draft, I got to say. I mean, he jumped right in. He jumped all over me for drafting Gronk, who's not retired. Yes, uh, he did. Yeah. He got you on that. And he, he also me. kind of blew my mind with Roger Staubach. I thought okay. it was good. I thought it was He's an interesting perfect. pick. Yeah. Well, I mean, here we are, three people drafting in this. Yeah. I would think you wouldn't get to him as your all-time retired quarterback or whatever he is on the draft. And Brady was ineligible, we decided, because he was just retired. Oh, Nick couldn't draft him anyway because yeah. he was a Patriot. And you wouldn't do it just because you He's, hate him like poison. Well, I do in a healthy way. And yes. I wanted my quarterback to be able to run, so I took John Elway. So Brady was never going to be drafted. Oh, I think Elway is a solid pick by you. Yep. Elway in this era. It's funny. When we talk about would this player fit in the current era? Oh, man. And there are all these debates going on. You just had the NBA All-Star game. As we're talking cross sports here. Hey, it's Friday. We're hanging out. We're letting our hair down, so to speak, whatever hair we have. But Steph Curry, right? Greatest yep. shooter of all time. Yes. And then the debate was going around in our little text thread about Curry versus Larry Bird in a three-point contest. Because old head like me. I saw Larry Bird, I saw Larry Bird shoot mm-hmm. with both hands, yeah. with both hands. But I have said, and I'm a big Steph fan, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, really the one at the All-Star game where he shoots it from near <laughs> midcourt and turns, <laughs> turns around. around. That, it's like, come on, man. Like, in an All-Star game where there's no defense, that oh. is how you entertain people. That right there. That was phenomenal. If you could, I used to do this with my overnight show. I would have, I would, I would have people come up with, my ultimate level topic that day was create your one-on-one battle. And it could be any it could be anything. It could be, you know, two guys fighting in a ring. You know, it could be like um Lawrence Taylor and JJ Watt fighting in a ring okay. or anything. Steph Curry v Larry Bird like if you could put it together, Steph Curry mm-hmm. and Steph uh, Curry and Larry Bird in their primes in a three-point contest, mano a mano would be fantastic. Well, it, Bird, I think the only way Bird wins, I mean, he's awesome, right? The intimidation factor of Larry. Larry's That's what presence, it was. Yes. it was a big part of yes. it, and he was excellent. Yeah. Curry is the best shooter I've ever seen. All right, yes. Bird no, no, no. is one of the best players I've ever seen who happened to be an excellent shooter. The three-point percentage isn't as high for Larry, of course, but... Look, you put Bird in this era, and that's how you win or at least participate in these arguments. You take Magic Johnson, put him in this era. Obviously, he's going to do fine, especially with today's training techniques and uh, knowledge we have about taking care of your body. Not that they would have done it necessarily. No, but taking care of your body, training, recovery, all that stuff. They didn't have load management back then. No, and those two didn't believe (laughs) in load management. They didn't believe in load load management back then. Then again, they were only playing a couple rounds of the playoffs, too. They weren't playing the full-on, I don't believe, back then. But uh, best of three when Larry started yes. and Magic started th- in the first round. Then right. it went to best of five. Uh, but seven. that's the only difference now. Yeah, it's a, it's a few less games. But they weren't. there was no such thing as load management. No, they played. None You were whatsoever. healthy, you played. I mean, Larry Bird, listen, you're right. Steph's the best shooter of all time. And my buddy Tyler Sutter is standing right here like shaking his head. Yeah, yeah. You're right, Johnny. Oh, he is. However... Larry Bird was the same guy that would go to Portland mm-hmm. and tell Portland, hey, I'm going to light you guys up tonight, and I'm going to do it with my left hand. And do it. And then put up 47 <laughs> off with his left hand, left hand. the whole game. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's how good. That's yeah. how good he was. And, oh, by the way, Larry Bird, you did not want to trifle with. No. Larry Bird was an all-time, all-time 
fighter. Rip thug. your throat out. I mean, the best thing, and I have the audio right here, but the, the best thing to, to demonstrate this is show a press conference of Larry during the 84 finals after they lose a game in L.A., and he's talking about how I just don't think this team, the Celtics, yeah. I don't think the guys want it badly yeah. enough. I, he's calling his team out. In the finals, yes. After losing one game, they yes. eventually won that series in seven, and the rest yeah. is history. Uh, <laughs> I know we're bouncing all around here, but it's fun to talk about different sports and how they cross over. And you know, as far as what players would be good in what era, football's really weird because if you would take the steel curtain Steelers, and we all know what they did to the Oilers, prevented them from getting into the big game. But if you could take that team and put them in today's game without proper modern day training. They'd get steamrolled by anybody. Well, yeah, by was, anybody. Yeah, I mean they're just they were two sixty. Yeah, mean Joe Green was two seventy five. Right, exactly. I, it's not happening. But, but to your point, and I know where you're going because we're talking about this because mm-hmm. I picked I picked Elway. I th- I think of quarterbacks that never got a, never really got a shot because coming out of college, NFL was like, eh, we don't know what to do with this guy. Yeah, Major Harris from West Virginia back Great in the late eighties. Was a tremendous player. Now he could spray it a little bit when he threw it, but man, he was incredible talent. Never got an opportunity in the NFL. Charlie Ward obviously went basketball. Nobody drafted him. Oh, Charlie t- Ward today. in the RPO era would be unbelievable. unbelievable. John Elway would have been would have been the top. I mean, yeah. when he got when when Mike Shanahan took over in Denver in the nineties, ninety six, ninety seven ish area, and they put that offense in. That fit Elway hand in glove, and he never had that. He never had that on the move boot, you know, outside zone boot game like we saw with you know Gary Kubiak having. Obviously, Gary was there in Denver with Mike Shanahan, and Elway at that that time was 34, 35. Had he had that offense his entire career? Look out! But if you put John Elway with Andy Reid's offense instead oh. of Patrick Mahomes, oh my goodness! Yeah. I mean, it would have been on. In every way, shape, everything that Patrick Mahomes could do, John Elway could do. I mean, that's probably the closest comparison, Elway to to Mahomes from that. Now, Elway is a little bit more buttoned up. He wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna fly by the seat of his pants quite like Mahomes does. Yeah, but he could get outside the pocket. But he could get outside the pocket, and then he was gonna kill you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and back kill you. then, n- no one could do that the no. way he could do it. Right. No uh, I heard and there I'm- really weren't. There wasn't an offense that could maximize those skills either. I'll give you another one. So, Allen Iverson outstanding high school football yes. player. He might be playing college football in today's game, right? He would have. Today's game, they would have said, listen, you're a great basketball player. Right. Play football. Right. Look what you're going to do. You're going to destroy defenses today. Mm-hmm. And way undersized as a pro quarterback, obviously, but so is Kyler Murray. Yeah. I mean, Kyler Murray's Allen Iverson playing quarterback, right? But Iverson was 6'1". In football, 6'1", 190. As a safety. Gosh, you're right. I, a safety? It feels like he, it feels looking back, I'll use that word in air quotes, that he's smaller than that, but you're right. Iverson he was, was a complete baller as a football player. I mean, I, yep. it's looking Six back. One. Oh, looking he's back fine. at what he did, he would have been an unbelievable safety. If that's where he wanted to play. I mean, he could play receiver, could play running back. He's playing quarterback, John. Yeah. He and is he was, slinging it. Yeah, I mean, you're and right. And he's I mean, running with it. Whoop. I made this, I made this, too. I can't remember who I was talking to. Um, Oh, we were talking to Jacques Césaire uh, the other day. Before he came on, we were talking about uh, Buffalo uh, linemen, you know, some of the Buffalo linemen, and we you know, brought up Ed Oliver, and I was like, 
Look, Jock, I was there at Pro Day that day that he walked right past everybody when they're doing the measurements and they get to Ed Oliver and they were going to – because at Pro Days what happens is they have a station for you to – you go and you stand next to the wall and they put the thing on your head and they measure how tall you are. And then they go over and you jump on the scale. And so Ed just walks right by the height measurement. He goes Don't right to bother. the weight. Don't even bother because whether you write down 5'11 or 6 foot, you know Ed's not that tall. He just said sayonara. Did he go to the combine? Uh, he did. So they measure you he, at the they combine. Measure, he measured him at the combine. And oh. I remember the reason, the reason that made me think of that is because Kyler Murray at the combine was measured at like 5'10 and like 5'10 and a quarter. And everybody was like, wait. How did he pull that off? There's no way he's 5'10 in a court. Look at him. He's not 5'10. He's not 5'10. And Ed, I remember them measuring him at like 6'1. And so going to that pro day, I was going down the hallway. You have to go down the hallway to go up the stairs to go to, to watch. And right as I was going around the corner, Ed came around the corner. And just like Aaron Donald, I'm looking at him right now. I'm like, he's six foot. There's no way he's six one plus. Mm. No way, not at all. Your eye level, not at all. If I'm right, if I'm looking you right in it, you're six foot. That's funny. So it was it was funny because because Jack knew what I was talking about uh, when I brought that up with Ed Oliver. But he doesn't matter. He's a player. He's he's a player. I mean, Kyler Murray at five five nine, if he's lucky, he's been a player. But Kyler's got to clean some things up, obviously. Okay, so let's settle once and for all, as if we could do that today, this Davis Mills conversation, debate, whatever it is, mm-hmm. discussion, that has mostly taken place during the afternoon show with Clinton Ron. Yeah. And Ron saying that maybe Davis isn't the guy. I don't know if he says maybe. Like, Davis is not the yeah, guy. He's Based the on what he's seen, guy, yeah. doesn't believe in it. Right. Uh, Clint saying, let's just wait and see. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here. Sure. Uh, they probably have stronger positions than that. But a lot of people have their opinions because that's what this is right now. You have a very small sample size with Davis in his first year, and then you go into year two, and he's the likely starter, of course, for your Houston Texans in 2022. Johnny, here's how I see it, then I want to hear how you see it. Davis Mills, we didn't see a ton. We saw definite improvement as the season went on. After he sat and came back, looked a whole lot better. Wasn't like he lit it up like Watson in those – limited amount of games in 2017, which was ridiculous with the 19 touchdown passes and six and a half games and all that. Uh, That was crazy stuff. But Mills looked solid. We talked about some of the actual numbers, red zone efficiency, minimum amount of attempts. Okay, eight TDs, no picks, number one in the league. Deep ball accuracy, that's number two in the league in deep ball accuracy. Wow. And deep ball maybe efficiency. All right, so all those are kind of cute and everything, and he won a couple of games. I think the Jaguar game is actually maybe more impressive in some ways than beating the Chargers in that you didn't have a great running game going that day against the the Jaguars. You really didn't. They were staying with it. They had the attempts, but not the yards, and Mills had to make plays, and I love that dagger throw to Brandon Cooks that basically ended the Jaguars' threat. Cook scored on it, could have taken a knee, like you said, or slid and drained the clock, but whatever. Uh, Charger game, I like the dagger touchdown pass to Nico Collins to really put them over the hump and distance themselves from the L.A. Chargers. I like those late throws, but here's what we haven't seen. We really don't know, other than those two moments, 
We really don't know how he's going to be in these clutch crunch situations in fourth quarters. Yep. Can you convert the third and six when you're behind or up and you need to hold the ball or keep the ball? We haven't seen all that from him. And it's a guess. It's a guess. It's an educated guess that he got better from point A to point B. Now you got to take it from C to D to E and down the line. How do you see it? When I knew things had changed at least slightly, it was in Jacksonville. Third and, I don't know, third and, third and six. Few. I think it was third and six, maybe. And they, bl- they bring Blitz Zero. Oh, yeah. And he checks at the line. Oh, the one that Dorsett, yeah. you're saying. He checked okay. at the line. He checked that at the line. He saw Blitz Zero. He knew Blitz Zero was coming. And he walked up and he changed the play. You can see him changing the play at the line of scrimmage. And then he's got two guys barreling down on him. And he knows, I got to throw this thing to a spot and let my guy go get it. So he recognized coverage. He recognized blitz. He knew, get rid of the ball. This is where I'm going with it. As Brady has said a million times, he's like, look, I mean, it's all, it's all well and good to be able to understand what you're seeing after the ball is snapped. But you better have an idea of what you're seeing first and then what does that turn into and then how you're going to adjust it. you got to do that on the fly. Well, but Davis did that, and he hits that throw to Philip Dorsett. And, I, and from the side, from, both of us were on the side. You guys were obviously up in the booth, yeah. so you saw it from that side. I saw it from the other side. But what we saw was him throwing it to a spot. So I'm seeing the ball in the air, and I'm looking to where Philip is. And I'm like, Philip hadn't even taken a break to the corner. By the time the ball was in the air, and he just dropped it right above. So when Philip turned, boom, the ball was right there. So there's a lot of great things about that throw. But that's what I felt like, huh, it changed. He checked the play. So he had confidence enough to check the play. Yep. Then he read the defense, and he made the right decision based on that. Fast forward to that throw to Nico. We talked about this. In fact, I, I felt like Scrooge. It was a day after Christmas, and I'm like, ah, we probably should have scored that touchdown. But <laughs> looking back on it, I'm glad that they did, and this was one of the things that I heard Dave Davis talked about this after the game. That run play with Tim Kelly, former offensive coordinator, had given it. He gave him a, a pass tag on it, and Gary used to Gary Kubiak used to do this with Matt Schaub. I, I remember this clear as day. It was gonna it would be an outside zone play. It looked like an outside zone. They're all blocking for zone, and Matt would step up, and Dre wouldn't even run a slant. He would just run flat down the line. And Matt would just pop it to him. And Drake could just angle right. up. Right. He could just angle, catch the ball, and then get up the field. And your linemen aren't downfield because you're getting rid of the ball so fast. Yeah. So that's a that's an automatic for the quarterback. So Tim Kelly put this pass tag on there. And even with the score in the situation the way it was, probably probably should run the ball. Davis is like, look, he gave me the pass tag on this play. They're giving it to me. I'm sticking this thing in there. He's got the confidence at that point to stick that sucker on Nico and put it on there where nobody else is touching it other than Nico, and he puts it right on him such that Nico can catch it, and then all the momentum is going forward to get him in the end zone, and of course that's Nico's first touchdown of the year. But those two throws to me, I'm, of course, you know, we've said this a million times, we're not, putting him, we're not putting him in can, but it showed that there was a ton of progress. And I know if people look holistically the whole year, his numbers aren't going to look fantastic. In fact, I saw a tweet the other day. Somebody, I think, on CBS Sports compared his numbers to Tua. And right. the numbers are, like, identical. I'm like, right. whoa. However, where Davis struggled were, was in that beginning. He faced the Bills. He faced the Rams. I mean, right. he faced some really good defenses. Not that he didn't at the end of the year, but 
you know, the second half against the Titans, one of the top five defenses in the league, he lit them up like a Christmas tree. Right. In the second half, I mean, he lit them up like a Christmas tree. You're a rookie tree quarterback. With no cooks. And you're going to Buffalo in a rainstorm right. against a hungry team, and the Texans aren't exactly the greatest show on turf right. going in offensively. The ball falls out of your hand on the first throw. I think, and I was listening to uh, uh, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. They did a uh, their, they did their podcast on uh, quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks, class of 2021 quarterbacks report cards. Ooh. All right, I want to hear that. Share that with me well, next, okay? Plus some other things, including but not limited to, look, we have a bowl game here, and it draws well, but attendance in college football, there's a problem, there's a report, and some other stuff around the NFL as well concerning your Houston Texans. It's Texans All Access. Keeping your company on a Go Texan Friday. It's Go Texan Day. We also have Go Texans Day, which is before the Texan season. But this is Go Texan Day for the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. And a lot of people dressed up. You were wondering, why is that person dressed up <laughs> in Texan gear? That's why, folks, yeah. if you didn't know by now. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Texans All Access. All right, you're going to share this with me. Yeah. Let's pay it off. Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah were giving their grades for the 2021 quarterback class, the rookies of last season. What do you got? Three of them ended up with C's or worse. Hmm. Take a guess which three. Fields. Correct. Not Jones. It's going to be, ooh, C's or worse? C's C's or worse. Trevor Lawrence. Yes. And, and Zach. Was, yeah. Okay. 1, 2, and 11 as far as selections go. Mm-hmm. Trey Lance got incomplete because he didn't play but a few games. Yeah. Now He played he, well against the Texans pretty well. Especially in the second half. Yeah, he got it going. I mean, he, that was – to me, if I'm Ron the show Hughley, I'm pointing to that game. Yeah. Because the Texans had opportunities in that game. What? Yep. De- did the Texans lead going into the fourth quarter? No. Uh, or down three or We were something. down three or down Very 10 to close. seven. Very we had, close. We got robbed on that. Well, Davis threw a pick. He threw a bad pick. But we got robbed on the fact that uh, whatever uh, number what, was Jimmy Ward. It was Jimmy Ward, Jaquaski Tart. I can't remember which one. Somebody intercepted the ball. And then Conley stripped it from him. And the Texans got on it. They said it's forward progress. They've been stopped. Oh, like, yeah. Come on, man. Either way, that, that was robbery. A, that was a that was a bad throw by Davis. So I'll give him that. But Lance got an incomplete. Mm-hmm. Mac Jones got an A minus. Ooh. Davis Mills got a B minus. Davis was was second in their group. But they said something uh, as they discussed it and they talked about him. They didn't talk about Davis. He was the last one they talked about. Because obviously he was the third rounder in a group, so and it was the Texans, so four and thirteen. But they said the progress he made, and I, and this is something that we said, but the fact that two n- well respected national hosts understood this fact. They talked about him going in and being thrown into the lineup when he was not ready, but then going back out of the lineup and having the opportunity to kind of observe, see how Tyrod did it, see what good Tyrod did, see what bad Tyrod did, and then getting back into the lineup to start, he kind of put all that into play, and you saw a bunch of improvement over the last part of the year from when he started the first part of the year. And I think that's it. That's it. You just you want a guy – at quarterback to improve each and every time he steps on the field. Yep. And I'll say this the lat when he was in the game, even in the game against the Niners and it was not going great. I felt 2000% different than I did when he was starting the first time. 
yeah. in that I felt like when they went on the field, I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. This is going to be rough. <laughs> Early on. Early on. But when he got back in the lineup, I felt like I'm excited to see where this thing goes. Yeah. Even getting even down to the Titans, I felt like, man, there's still something I, I feel better about him. I want to see what happens. And then he hits the flea flicker for the touchdown. He makes a couple other key throws. He gets him within three. Danny's having a great game. Um, he's throwing ropes to Danny. I mean, it. You you saw it, but I felt, and I think the team felt different too. So a guy shows progress, and I think even Ron could admit, any critic could admit, you want a third round quarterback to pay off, sure. right? You want that to happen for because, whatever you do man, with them. That helps you on so many different yeah. levels. Right. You want a third round quarterback because, I mean. God, I mean, you think back to Seattle, what Seattle was able to do with Russell Wilson. Sure. Before Russell obviously got paid after, you know, he proved it. But they were able to do so much, adding Michael Bennett back to the mix. All these great players they were able to add in because they, you know, Russell Wilson's on a third-round rookie contract the first three years. So you want that to be the case. Now, can it be? We'll find out. Mm -hmm. But I think at least what he showed over those last few games is – there's progress. Let's see where this goes. Not, this doesn't look good at all. Like, you would, if the season would have ended after the, the uh, what game was that? Uh, the Rams game? Right. I know he closed with the fourth quarter. Like, I, I get that. But you, but you wouldn't feel, you'd feel nearly like, the same. Oh, man. No. Uh-uh. Listen, not at all. I might not have felt as good had the season ended at halftime of the Tennessee game, the last game of the regular season. Yeah. Because at halftime, I thought, man, he's going to have to go on a run here. He's He's got to get something positive yep. going into the offseason with, and he yeah. certainly did. He did. They did. Because if you make one more stop, you get the ball back, Oh, maybe man. they get stopped, but maybe they don't. Maybe they kick a game-time field goal. Maybe they get a go-ahead touchdown. And wouldn't we all love to see that? And I'll give you another example. His first-ever appearance against the Browns. He throws a touchdown pass to Brandon Cooks in the second half. If they can get the ball back, all right, I think they're down three or something it in that 24, game. It was 24-21 at that point. Yeah, 24-21. Get the ball back. See what you can do. Yeah. Again, not saying he's going to do it, but I'd love to see them get the opportunity. But Cleveland it, was able to run things out. Yeah, well, Cleveland – well, remember, Cleveland once scored a touchdown to make it 31-21. Right. He brought him back and got him in field goal range. Would have got him within a score. But they missed. Missed the field goal. Joey yeah. Sly missed the field goal. Joey so you Sly. Up, Joey Sly was kicking. I think Joey Sly kicked for three teams in I know, Joey Sly. Got a I mean, lot of jerseys. Him. Put them all up on the wall, Joey. Good for him, but. It is Jim. Yeah. Yeah, so we left the building. It was weird. You left the building after losing to Tennessee with the number three pick in the draft. Nice. Yep. But, look, having lost to Tennessee, I don't like losing any game. At least you had the number three pick. And Mills played well in the process. And Nico contributed. And the rookies did their thing again. And you left the building heading into the offseason with a sense of, okay, wasn't the season you wanted, but at least there were some positives to pull. And here we are today with Lovey Smith as the head coach. You're headed to the combine, and we'll see where it goes from there. I talked to a few of the Titans out on the, on the field after the game. I saw Taylor Luan. I, I met him for the first time in Nashville. We talked for a while on the field. And I talked to Ben Jones for a little bit. I saw Deontay Foreman and talked to a few of the guys, talked to a few of the coaches. And every single one of them that I talked to was like, wasn't so much we got lucky, but it was like, whew, 
boy, yeah. that got a little dicey. Yeah, it did. Yeah. And and why? Why did it get dicey? Because the guy that stood under center for the Texans in those last 30 minutes was a guy showing some confidence, and he got hot and put the Texans right where you wish they could have been in the first half. Division games. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, division games are big, and that's yeah, why the are. league does it this way. Magical things happen in division games. Jaguars beating the Colts last game of the regular season, knocking the Colts out of playoff contention. Magical things. Now, not so magical for the Colts, but that was wild and weird. And I don't think it happens if you're not playing a divisional game. Again, nobody in your division is scared of you. The Jags weren't scared of the Colts. They beat them the year before there on opening day. And look, I know some of the faces change and everything, but they're not scared. And the Texans aren't scared of the Titans. They had beaten no. them before up there. So they weren't scared, but they challenged them. Couldn't get the win, but you challenged them, and that was a positive for you. How different is life in the AFC if the Texans win that game? Interesting. The Titans are still going in, obviously. They're going to the playoffs, yes. But they don't feel nearly as good. Hey, maybe they do better in the postseason. I don't know. Maybe so. Going on the road. It's what they did in 2019. I mean, they play that first game at home, I believe. As the AFC South winner. Yeah, as a division winner, you're going to But play. do the Chiefs end up with that? And it made me think about this because they I get was – get the buy then. I've been, I've been uh, watching – I don't know if you've seen this. On the ACC Network, Jonathan Hawk, who has done a number of great documentaries for 30, 30 for 30 documentaries, he's doing a 10-part series on the ACC basketball tournament. Oh, boy. And it's fantastic. And there was a time in the ACC where the number one team would get a buy. And so by day three, you've got these teams playing on, you know, three games in a row mm-hmm. versus a team that hadn't played that first day. They're just playing their second game in a row. And it was also back in a time when only the winner went. Only the winner of that oh, tournament. The old, 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 old days. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah, that's when Dean Smith. Way back in the day. Well, Dean, didn't Dean Smith win the ACC tournament once and decide to go to the NIT instead? There was one that year that way, happened. That might have been That's way, in the way, way back, back machine. Because way back machine. The old stories are the NIT used to be more entertaining than the NCAA tournament because they'd have everybody there, and it was so yep. cool to be in New York, and they'd play hot and cold running games at right. Madison Square Garden, and people would just come in during work and catch a game and a half and then go, and it was awesome. And the NCAA tournament at one point only had 16 teams in it. Yep. Can you imagine the number four team in the country having just lost – in overtime to the number one team in the country in a tournament final, 103 to 100, doesn't go to the NCAA tournament. That's crazy. That's the way it was in 74 with Maryland. Then it flipped the next year. But it got me thinking about that because 74. that, I mean, it used to be the two buys. You had two teams that didn't play in that first week. But now it's just one. And I know that that the Titans got beat, obviously. The Packers got beat, both of them. It didn't, it didn't matter. But I can imagine just having that extra week to rest, what that would have meant for the Chiefs. Right. The Chiefs don't have that week. They've got to play. And, yeah, it's the Steelers, so they didn't play exceedingly well. But they still got to play. You still got to prepare. You still got to play. That's a mental and physical grind. But if we beat the Titans, how do things change? T- Titans probably fall to the three or four seed. The Chiefs get the bye, so they don't have to play the first round. So are the Chiefs going to lose everything going through Kansas City? I mean, they did lose to the Bengals, but they had to play a third game. And so maybe fatigue caught up to him, maybe hubris caught up to him. I don't know. But it got me thinking about it because I've been watching the ACC tournament document. It's 10 bomb through parts. It's awesome. 
I got to watch that. You got to. I still have to watch watch that SEC stuff on the announcers as well. (gasps) I'm I'm way behind in my TV viewing. This is a priority of my life. We got to talk to Mike Keith about that when we go to the combine. I got a chance to talk to him about it. He gave me kind of the background about how this thing. Do you know that he wanted to do, he talked to the NFL. He wanted to do kind of like a a series by the the NFL NFL on all the different NFL voices. Oh, and all yes. the different NFL radio teams. <laughs> oh yes. And he thought he thought he had got a commitment to him, and then COVID hit, and it kind of uh, changed. And yeah, my, I, I talked to him for a bit at the uh, Senior Bowl. Well, they're going to focus on a lot of old timers, and as they should. Yeah. You know, as they should, they should focus on some of the great boys, like Van Miller of the Buffalo Bills. Oh yeah. Back in the day, Merrill Hodge has been with the Eagles forever. I've been here a few Merrill years. Merrill Hodge or Merrill Reese. I meant Merrill Reese. I'm yeah, sorry. Reese. I got my Merrills mixed up. I know. It's a couple of them. But, yeah, Merrill That's Reese has happens. been doing games for forever. He's been doing it for a while. I think he's pushing 80. He's getting close. All right, coming up, you're going to give me it's late Friday night of the draft. So it's late day two okay. or early Saturday. Give me at least one, maybe two running backs that are right there. We've got to get to that college football story as well. I promise that. But, look, we're running out of show. It's Texans Radio. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you Friday night. It's a free-for-all Friday. We've been all over the place tonight. But I promise this, Johnny, it's late Friday night of the draft mm-hmm. or it's early Saturday. So, in other words, late third round, early fourth round. And Nick Casario says, you know, I'm not drafting for need, but I feel the need for speed at running back. I oh, feel you want speed. a need. Well, I'm. I just was looking for the rhyme right there. He might want power okay. and speed or just power. I don't know. But he feels like it's around time to take a running back. There's some attractive ones on the board. Give me one or two guys we should be watching okay. for. What do you want in your running back? You said speed? Yeah, how about speed? I'll give you Rashad speed. White from Arizona State at the Senior Bowl. He, I saw the run, and I was like, yo, that's fast. Later on, we found out he was running at 21.25 miles an hour. In full pads, in practice, run broke right in front of him, and he just he hit it. He smoked. At the Senior Bowl, he also told me that one of the players that he modeled his game after growing up, Arian Foster. Oh, wow. But Arian never had that speed. No. This guy's got legit, legit a- speed. Arian had that. It looked like he was jogging, gliding yes. speed, just and he's running by people. Right. You know, And it's just so effective. Uh, so that's speed. That's speed. Give me power. You want a hammer? Yeah. I got a few guys. Love so Brian Robinson. Mid-round, early mid-round kind of guy. No, I like Robinson. Robinson probably ended up at day two. But give you one from the University of Florida that I love is Damian Pierce. Okay. Love him. He's about 215 pounds, just strong as an ox. I mean, just built. He's like 5'10", 215, just built like a brick. And the term contact balance is him. I mean, uh-huh. players just Bounce, bounce off of this guy. I, I love these mid-round guys. Ty Goodson, Tyler Goodson from out of Iowa, great zone runner. Not a not a big guy in comparison, but like James Cook from Georgia can be kind of a dual threat guy. Hassan Haskins, that's another one that I really want. I got him in about 90-ish range in the Harris 100. Where's he from? He's from Michigan. 6'1", 215 pounds, and he's a hammer. But his best run against Ohio State, he breaks through the line. Breaks a couple tackles, breaks through the line. He's 25 yards downfield, and a corner tries to tackle him. He leaps over him. All right, I remember, of course, from and the Ohio State game. And then ran into the I remember watching and, it. And, yes, and, yeah, yes. Hassan yeah. Haskins, he's 6'1", about 215, and is a, ha- is a hammer. But he's got some juice with him, too. So I like day two and beyond for running backs in this class. 
All right, we're not going to have enough time to get to this topic thoroughly, but the college football attendance story, what broke today about this? I know it's been an issue lately, especially with COVID, obviously. Everything was an issue. But coming out of COVID has been tough at the college football gate. Yeah, Dennis Dodd, who writes for CBS's college football, longtime college football writer from CBS Sports, has been talking about the actual game attendance in particular conferences. Mm -hmm. And how it was down. It was down in the SEC. At certain schools, it was up. It was up at Ole Miss, obviously, Lane Kiffin. It was up at Arkansas because Sam Pittman had a pretty good year. Right. But overall, the gist of it is there's a concern in college football about the attendance and people going there because, obviously, COVID hit. But what COVID did was it forced not all of us, but it forced a lot of people to watch from home. Yeah. And watch the game from home. And it's like, man, my TV is pretty good. Yep. I walk to the kitchen for a beer or drink or food or whatever. I don't have to face the throng. I'm going to stay and watch. Hey, the the smaller schools or smaller programs, right? Mid-American conference schools. Right. Look, every game is on ESPN Pi or whatever, right? So you can watch every game on your flat screen. Absolutely. In the comfort of your home. Beautiful. Yeah. And... It does affect things. There's no Absolutely doubt. You know, we're does. not talking the Alabamas of the world, although even some of those programs are right. affected. But when you drop down, it's a major problem. Absolutely. And these these teams have you know fifty thousand seat stadiums, and you watch a game, and you see kind of like a you know it, was a high school game going on in there today? Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. it's Bowling Green against Miami, and it it. And on TV, that doesn't it doesn't look great. But there are no. a lot of people watching those games. Every game is on TV somewhere. So yeah, college football's got a little bit of an issue from that perspective. And how do you get the fans back? That's a battle they've been fighting for I, years. It's gotten even bigger now. I have a suggestion for the big programs: stop playing these schools that you have no business. Oh, playing. you've got to create. You're absolutely right. You know, just play a absolutely. tough, tough schedule. That's why they have to let more people into the playoff or whatever it's going to take to enable that to happen. Yeah. I get it. Everybody feels like they need a warm-up. You know what? Let them scrimmage each other, controlled scrimmages oh, with thud. That's what they just allowed. They're allowing that this yes. year. Joint practices in college football. Finally. Yes. Finally. They ju- I, That just came out, I think, yesterday or day oh, they've before. They've been listening to me. Finally, yes. they're doing what I'm suggesting. Those joint practices, I mean, come on now. You can do it with the NFL level. You can do them at college. Of course. I it's mean, only going to help your opening yes. games. Now you won't be as bashful about playing a big-time team. Yeah. Right? I know not everybody shies away from those matchups because some of them are just huge money games and neutral sites or whatever the yep. case may be. Uh, but I think it's absolutely time for that to happen because they were scrimmaging themselves all the time. You don't want to get hurt. You don't really know how good you uh, are. Exactly. It's a big problem. Yes. All Joint right. Practices in college. Let's do it. All right. So we've got a weekend of activity. Monday's show is still going to originate from here, but Tuesday through Friday next week from the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. It's going to be fun, Johnny. Yeah, it's going to be a blast to be back. It's been a couple of years. Yeah. Been a couple of years. I hope we know our way around Indy. I think we've known our way around okay. Indy. I think I, I could get. Yeah, I don't know. We've been there so many times, <laughs> so many times, so many days. And look, I I did college games there back in the day. It'll be fun. It'll be next week. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you, Robert, for producing. Have a great night. Go Texans.